Well, hello everybody and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Your Manchester. How are you doing, Mr. Brandon? I'm doing very well. How are you? Look who else we've got here today. We've got a goat. What's his name? <laughs> right. I'm William Gordon Groffy. It's, it's all going on on today's programme. Who have we got on? First up, we've got Paul McQuaid. What made you move all the way over to that wonderful place? Because looking at our notes here, I mean, you were born and raised in Glasgow. And now you're in New York State. Tell us the story. <laughs> How I ended up here. Well... <laughs> Uh, after Glasgow, I ended up in Edinburgh for a bit. After Edinburgh, I moved to Tokyo. And after Tokyo, I learned that American PhD programs are funded. So I came out here to finish my PhD, which I just finished. And mm. now I'm taking a break and enjoying the fact that my debut short story collection just came out. Uh, and now I get to talk to you two, which is very well, exciting. And that's what's very important. I take it you know quite a lot about Manchester, don't you? I do very well. One of my best friends moved to Manchester a couple of years ago, Julia Rogers. Uh, Maybe for legal reasons, shouldn't let people know who she is. So I spent many a fair night in the city keeping her out of trouble. But maybe for legal reasons, you should tell us about these short stories. Tell us all about them. Sure. They are the compilation of many years of writing. Some of them are brand new. Some of them are from quite a while ago. They're about my experience, I guess, between lots of languages, lots of geographic locations, and that kind of movement and strangeness. And they're queer and they're odd, and it's really great to have them out, especially with an independent press like Confingo based in Manchester. So what brought you to want to create them in the first place? Um, I don't know. I've wanted to be a writer since I was about four. It's probably the first thing I can remember wanting to be. (laughs) And so I've been writing my entire life. And yeah, this is the sum total of my work to date. And I've been working on a novel, which is hopefully forthcoming soon. So, yes. Sounds all very, very good. Now, this is, of course, your first foray into literature. In (laughs) fact, you've done quite a lot with the Scottish language, haven't you? (laughs) What one? Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce... You want me to pronounce this, don't you? Are you ready? <laughs> Let's see how she does. Edoch the Thabergach. Oh, yeah, which is the Gaelic word for translation, which means between tongue-ing, which is the title of the collection, but you can't say between tongue-ing in English because it just sounds a bit weird. You know? Sounds like a night out, to be honest with you. It does, it does. It does, it does, in Manchester, definitely. Yes, it does. <laughs> Uh, just out of interest, what time is it where you are at the moment? It is 2.30 in the afternoon. Well, that's not too oh, bad. Oh, it's not, not too, too bad. bad. You've still got the rest of your day to go. Yeah. Anything exciting planned? No. This is the most social interaction I've had in a while, apart from talking to my dog, so thank you very much for, for <laughs> You're absolutely <laughs> I'm sure welcome. you planned this interview with your dog perfectly. <laughs> yeah, she's out, so she's not going to bother me. <laughs> oh, bless you. You've got a right accent, haven't you? It's quite sort of in between everything. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been all over the place, so you have tends, tends, tends to drift. Y- yes, now you've got a PhD as well. I do, yeah. Yes. Yeah, From yeah. Tell us about that then. Um, that? Well, I specialise in people who write outside of their first language. So Japanese people who write in German or Germans who write in Japanese, Americans who write in Japanese, and what it means to choose a language to work in creatively and what you can do with that and what translation does with that. So That's very amazing. much in keeping with the book, but yeah. Yes. So when will the book be out? Any idea? Available for pre-order through Confingo directly, which is always great. And the official launch date is August 16th. Um, mm-hmm. 
trying to see if we can get anything together in person. I was promised a night out in Manchester, but well, I'm Ma- sure we can accommodate. You know, Miss Rona has a. Only if I get a signed <laughs> copy of the book, then we'll think about it. Absolutely. So uh, we look forward to seeing you very, very soon. We look forward to reading your wonderful short stories mm-hmm. as well. But um, I've always wanted to say this. For now, New York State, thank you <laughs> thank very, you much. very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's all coming back. It's all coming back to us now. Of course, I'm referring to the world of the theatre and our two most popular theatres, the Palace and Opera House. We spoke to the head honcho at the Palace and Opera House, Sheena Wrigley. Hello, I'm Sheena Wrigley. I am the director of the Palace and Opera House. It's been closed for what feels like forever. We closed on the 16th of March, I think. Um, just after the government made their announcement advising people not to go to the theatre, which quickly turned into telling people definitely not to go to the theatre. We had uh, just about to start with um, Phantom of the Opera here at the Palace. So the stage was all clear, the trucks waiting outside, couldn't do that. And at the Opera House we were in the middle of the first ever run of Back to the Future, the musical, which was a world premiere that we opened here in Manchester. Mm-hmm. You know, initially we thought we'd be back by midsummer, then September, and it's gone like that all the way through the time we've been closed. Um, there's nearly 300 people work here, uh, not you know, in, you know, with all our staff front of house and all our stage technical casuals. All of those staff were furloughed and have continued to be furloughed right through this period. And at one point there was just me um, and two big ven- empty venues. We turned off all the power, all the heating, all the refrigeration that we could. We just went into complete lockdown. They really work when there's lots of energy in them and they also need looking after. And obviously when we've got all our staff team and we've got the public coming through all the time, we've got artists coming through, we're looking after them day in, day out. It's a seven day a week job. But then we just had nobody. So as you can imagine, the buildings haven't always fared that well. They're very old, uh, late 19th century and this one, early 20th century for the Opera House. So there's been, to get back to a place where we could reopen, we've been spending quite a lot of time over the last few months just bringing the theatres back to life and making sure they're safe and clean and repairing bits of damage that's happened over the last couple of years. And the front of house team at both venues are quite famous and synonymous with the buildings. They are coming back? They are coming back. They've been amazing, actually. I mean, you know, we have a lot of people on our uh, payroll for front of house. These buildings take quite a lot of customer assistance to help us. So we usually have sort of 50 people a night working front of house. So that's, you know, that's 100 people on a full show if both venues are busy. Um, We've managed to retain a large proportion of those staff, which is fantastic. I have to say we've lost some who found other jobs or gone to sort of other kinds of work over the last year and a bit. Um, So they are all coming back. They're all going through their new training regimes because, as you can imagine, the protocols with COVID now are going to be a little bit different. So lots of training, lots of refresher training, but hopefully the same warm sort of welcome that we've always been able to give people. And uh, reopening, what shows have we got to Right. Well, this is where it gets interesting. We're opening this venue, which is quite appropriate given what we've been talking about. We're opening it with Woman in Black. Mm -hmm. So we're really going to be pushing the spooky ghost themes because even though it's going to be August, you wouldn't know that sitting in here. So, yeah, we're just doing a little bit of um, work. We're just um, 
finding out a bit more about some of the ghost stories that actually attach to this venue. I've said nobody's to tell me anything about that because oh, yeah. I don't want to see that. Um, so we'll be um, sharing some of those with our audiences in order just to get that sort of slightly ghostly, yeah. chilling feel here. Um, so this venue opens with Woman in Black. Um, the Opera House is opening with uh, Adam Kay, the doctor who wrote This Is Going To Hurt. So he's well, he's been selling that show out across the UK and was yeah. doing before COVID. So he's with us for a couple of nights and then we go into Rocky Horror Show, which is just <laughs> going to be one massive party. It'll be a big change from it being so quiet. Oh, my Rocky goodness. Horror yes. Show, Rocky Horror Show is going to be a massive, a massive moment. Um, we then at the Opera House, we're going to be launching the UK tour of Bat Out of Hell which is obviously a show that was generated in Manchester. It's premiered in Manchester. It's had a great track record across in the West End, across the UK, in the States, and it's coming back to Manchester. We're going to launch the tour here, and then it's going out across the UK, which will be fabulous. Yes. And in here, well, we've got all sorts of things, really. I mean, there's some real favourites that people really, really want to see again. Like, you know, you your um, Priscilla's and your hairsprays and your grease and things like that. We've got Dirty Dancing coming in here, which is always a good night out for people. Yes. Um, and then we've got a real interesting smattering of new shows that haven't been out the West End before, all of which were due to come in the autumn of 2020, but right. obviously didn't come. So shows like Waitress, um, Heather's, and a brand new production uh, called The Osmonds, which is yes. a story of the Osman brothers or yeah. the Osman family, which is, that's my kind of generation, yeah. so I'm probably going to be there. Um, and then we go into Book of Mormon here at uh, Christmas, which is a very alternative Christmas offer. And we're going back to Panto down at the Opera House and we'll be announcing the casting next week. You know, obviously we want to be as accommodating as possible, but we've also got to balance that with making everybody who's here feel safe and secure yeah. and our own staff will be wearing masks and we'll be working with you know screens and protocol the sort of protocols that we've sort of become used to lots of enhanced cleaning lots of um uh, sanitizer stations just keeping all of those things going so that people you know get the feel that we're, we're you know it's obvious to people that we are taking care of them yeah. having said that once you're sitting in your seat you've got a drink in your hand it's going to feel like it used to feel like. Next up, we've got a man who's been in the music scene since the 80s and all the way up to now as he releases a new book. And we're here to talk to him. It's Dave Haslam. You're a DJ and writer, and you made your DJing... DJing? DJing? DJing debut at the Hacienda in 1986. The world-famous Hacienda. Now, listen, before we go any further, the world-famous Hacienda, what was that like? Um, well, I can't, it's all a blur to me now. Yes. Especially <laughs> the, ni the 1980s. Well, it was fantastic. We... We were just kind of doing what we wanted to do out of love yeah. mm -hmm. for the music. And we drew a fantastic crowd who loved all the music. And it was underground yeah. for a few years. And then obviously it got discovered and we had, you know, TV crews and journalists. And it all went, you know, went a bit mental, to be mm -hmm. honest. Yeah, I'd say so. But that time, just before we were discovered, was fantastic. It was so good. It was unlike any other club in the world. Well, obviously, because you're obviously, you're here to talk about your whole lifestyle of music. What made you get into music so much? Oh, I, I don't know. I just connected, connected with me from a very mm. early age. You know, I'd watch Top of the Pops and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd see it. Slade or somebody. Yeah. Or, you know, or I'd see like a Motown act and I was just transfixed. And when I was about 12, I went to parties and my nickname was Disco Zombie 
because any time there was music, Fair. I think my dancing was a bit like your running. Oh, absolutely. I, was, oh, I, was I, like I don't do the whole dancing thing either. And don't worry. <laughs> it just connected with me. And, and uh, obviously, you know, many decades on, mm-hmm. it's still really important it's still to me. with you, absolutely. You know, I mean, some people, you know, it, it's a soundtrack to their lives, isn't it, music? Music yeah. is, yeah. And it's often the music that you hear when you're young that stays, stays with you. Stays with you. Especially oh, 17, 18, the first That's like time. I'm stuck in 1989. Yeah, people, people oh, do get stuck in 1972, that. more like that. But you learn, and that, in that period, you learn, you know, you find a club to go to, they're playing your favourite music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you learn, you meet friends. Yeah. Uh, you get inspired to dress up. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Obviously, yeah, because you, you love a good, like, a theme night of what's going on, you know. There's nothing, especially now that clubs have come back and yeah. people can go out and do those things. I know I went to a club um, last week for the first time in yes. over a year. Yes. And it was very strange to suddenly be like, people are up and we're dancing. And it's amazing to see how music just fueled that entire room. Yeah. To the bring positivity in the sense of community. Absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely. Now, you did a lot of reviewing as well. You brought out a lovely fanzine. I brought out fanzine when I was mm-hmm. younger. Yeah. And I mean, I, was, I did DJing and writing. I was doing in 1984, mm-hmm. and I still am. Did I you mean, have a particular favourite, though? In terms of... Music or writing? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of come and gone. It's nice to have both. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. DJing is very sociable. Yes, so I go out so. and you know, meet lots of people yeah. and have a smiley face and um, connect with my friends yeah. and new friends. Yeah. But then writing is like, you know, you're on your own. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have contained. both those parts of their personalities. Absolutely. And it's great to have a life where I can indulge both parts of that. Absolutely. No. I wish it was around when the Atta Ender was around. And also, de- also Should we just recreate the Atta <laughs> I think we should. People well, have tried to. They do. They've tried to, but it's impossible. It's never the same. Oh, it's never the no, same we, have to, we have to move on. I mean, I think Manchester has to move on a little bit. I think it's good celebrating yeah. what we've done. But I think we should always Absolutely. look to the future. Right? It's what's new, what's upcoming. Let's Correct. move on with it. Yeah. And speaking of new, you're working on a new project at the moment called Art Decades. Is that right? Yeah, I have. Um, I, I st- after I did my journalism, I started writing books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did five big books, yes. which took me about three years a book. And then I kind of lost patience with spending that amount of time. I can't so do it art, anymore. I can't. <laughs> so Art Decades is smaller books. Yeah. And, uh, but more of them. Yeah. So I do two a year, and the new one is out at the end of August. End of August? And this is actually the first interview I've done about my new book. This right, is the okay. world exclusive. So what can we expect to find within each book then? Mm. Well, it's called All You Need Is Dynamite. Yeah. Uh, and it's set in 1968, roughly to 72. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's all true. It starts in a club called The Magic Village in Manchester. Did where that exist? It was no. It, oh, I was good. It, I thought I missed that She's one. Like, then. I've never it ended, been. At the end of, it, end, it ended quite soon. To be right. honest, the police oh, weren't happy oh. with the amount of drugs in the club. Where have we heard that before? I've never heard that um, in Manchester. And all the Pink Floyd fans yeah. and the weirdos and the druggies mm. and the dropouts and the hippies. Yeah. They all went to the Magic Village. Right. Uh, and uh, Bowie dropped in. He visited. Wow. Um, Pink Floyd was supposed to play there, but they pulled out the last minute. Anyway, oh, they lost was, out. There was a guy who had a stall there selling underground newspapers, political newspapers. Uh, so you had that mix of music, politics, drugs. And that really intrigued me. I'm not me. saying this that some indie film artist ago. is coming to make yeah. this indie film very soon, but it sounds perfect for well, it. Well, it does. It sounds, like, it sounds like it's made up, but yeah. it isn't. No, so it isn't. I follow the story of these people in this little scene and what they did next. 
And then in uh, 1970, in Manchester, this group of urban terrorists arrived called the Angry Brigade with dynamite, and they tried okay. to blow up a building just off Market Street. Oh, nice. my goodness. And so I've kind of got this, this yeah, as I say, music, drugs, politics, and it's a story that I didn't know, really, until I started researching. That's yeah. what's so great about books, is if, you, if you're buzzing off your own research, yeah. and you're thinking, you this is a story a nobody's told then about Manchester. About it, Absolutely. Yeah. So then you hope that that enthusiasm is in the book, and the yeah. readers will connect with it. That's and then, when's that out, then? Uh, August the 26th. August the 26th. Well, that's one I'm definitely looking out for. Where's it available? Uh, it's available mostly online, but yeah. I'm doing an event at Central Library on the okay. 7th of September. Right. Um, and I have a guest called Bruce Mitchell, who's okay. a drummer, and he used to play at the Magic Village. Oh, he, that's nice. He used to dress up in a gorilla costume. Yeah and go drumming all night on a Saturday. I'm now starting to see where the Cadbury's advert got the idea. That reminds <laughs> starting to see it. What starting was that band that you always used to find as you were walking down from Piccadilly? Piccadilly, Piccadilly Rats. 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 Yeah, yes. they, yep. they still play. The legends, legends. All these legends here in our special city, Manchester, mm -hmm. everybody, which is great. Uh, for now, we do have to wrap it up, but thank you so much. Make yes, sure you check out you your so book. Much. I believe it's out on the 26th of uh, August uh, this this wonderful year. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having me. No well, thank you for coming, thank Flower, I'll tell you. Well, what an absolute corker of a shot. Have you had fun, William? Hey, hey, too right, I have. I've been supping on my wife's goat's milk in the corner. Nice. I didn't know you were his wife. Thank you very much, and hope you all joined us. And this is Brandon saying goodbye for... Your Manchester! Manchester.